see how it's here. We want bean boozle. I told them about bean boozle. Family, maybe distant family, 
but uh, you've had some challenges and you've had some issues and how to find our way through those challenging times and we're going to look at some of the principles that we shared this morning as well of how we could pray about the issues of family strife. So uh, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 15 and beginning with verse 30. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went up. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. We left off with David having established his kingdom. He was reigning and ruling. He had extended uh, the boundaries of Israel. He had a beautiful palace. He had everything going for him. He allowed sin to enter in. And we spent several weeks looking at that. And shortly thereafter, bad things start to happen in the king's household. And so we're going to go back. Uh, you know how sometimes on TV programs or movies, they'll start you off with a scene, and then it says, three weeks earlier. <laughs> okay? Well, that's what we're doing. But this segment here is probably three to five years earlier. What happened to lead up to the fact? What's happening here in this portion of scripture that I just read. What's happening? Who's who's involved here? What's happening? David's leaving Jerusalem and his palace in shame and he's weeping. He's gone out to the Mount of Olives, right across the valley, the Kidron Valley, where the tabernacle is. And he's gone there to worship the Lord on his way out of his home, his palace, and everything, all of his possessions. And what's his countenance like at this time? Is he the large and in charge king right now? What's his countenance like? He's weeping. He's weeping. Pretty low. His head is covered. He's he's under a shroud of of depression, and he's barefoot. What does that symbolize? The last time that he left town like that was when Saul was chasing him. And he went out didn't even have a sword in his hand. Here he doesn't, still doesn't have a sword, but the sword of Goliath is not at the tabernacle now. He used it. 
It's gone. He's barefoot like a servant. He's in disguise, if you will. He's not wearing his regal robes. He's not bearing a crown on his head. He's running for his life and doesn't want anyone to recognize it. Some were following him and we'll find out later he dissuaded them. No, go back. Go back. About a three to five year gap between chapter 13 and here. And a lot of terrible things happened in this time. And so we want to go back in time now. See how David, large and in charge, on the throne, thousands of soldiers and wealth beyond measure, uh, revered, respected, everybody loves him, and now nobody loves him. And he's hiding out, and he's running from, from Absalom, his son. So we're going to walk back a little bit, and then we'll get into some of the scriptures for you to share. How did he get to this place? Quick overview. In chapter 13 we find out, I'll let you read this for yourself, it's a depressing chapter. How many of you need anything depressing tonight? I, probably not. It tells the story of two of David's sons, Absalom and Ammon. They're basically half-brothers. Part of the problem is that David has multiple wives. And children are being born in the palace this isn't God's plan. This is David's plan. He wants to be like all the other kings around and try to firm up his boundaries. Well, you have all those relatives under one roof. You're bound to have some problems. How many of you have figured out that sometimes when you get the whole family together, you might have some issues? Might have some problems. And uh, how many of you have some relatives just don't get along? Yeah, have a few. Uh, how, how many of you have some that they just out now don't like each other? How many of you, they don't like you? <laughs> you know, and, uh, we were talking this morning, uh, you know, the cousins. Uh, the descendants of uh, Israel and and Esau uh, were always the Edomites were always after the Israelis and not being nice to them, being cruel to them, and and uh, cheered when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and tore down the walls. They would cheer, dancing in the streets, and so we looked at. When there's family strife, you say, "Well, they were cousins." Yeah, I, we got some cousins. <laughs> and and uh, I told a few stories this morning. I'm not going to repeat them, but but uh, the, the King clan has some strife in it historically. Uh, 
a lot of our relatives were from West Virginia, and they had a feuding mentality. They loved to fight. More, more than about anything. Well, Grandma Maddie, who lived right next door, didn't speak to my father for the last three years of his life. They'd had a rift over something. And we kids got to be in the ponds in the game. <laughs> I was required to go over every day and read the obituaries to Grandma Maddie because she was blind. And uh, that brought her great joy. Which about Grandma Maddie. The only time she'd get dressed up is to go to a good funeral. And she had a, a way of wailing. Any of you have been to a down south kind of wailing service? Anybody? <coughs> Ever been there? Yeah. Woo! I mean, she just, she, she couldn't hardly walk the day before, but she's all over the place, whooping and whooping. But, uh, and so uh, she would, you know, say, well, Kenny, what, what's going on here? What, what's your dad doing? Uh, and I was under strict instructions not to say a word under penalty of, of uh, weeping willow branches coming my way. And then likewise, I'd get back over and Dad would question us about what she said or did. They weren't speaking. Didn't see each other for three years. And we lived... 25 feet away. You know, 25 yards away. So, all kinds of bad stuff. Uh, kind of a warring kind of atmosphere. We find that in the household of King David, living under various roofs in Jerusalem, there's all kinds of bad stuff happening between the brothers, half-brothers, and half-sisters. And how many of you know the, the atrocities that happen when families have become blended and there are uh, kids from this marriage and that marriage and all the different things that happen? And, you know, and the, some of the parents pit the kids against the other parent. You act like you don't. Haven't heard of these things. How many of you have heard of these things? And it's odds, nasty stuff. And well, this kind of thing is going on to a big time degree in King David's households. All these kids and their Ammon falls in love, he thinks, with his half sister. Absalom sister. And he uh, he has a buddy who gives him some bad advice. Well, if you really love her, then tell her. He says, well, I can't do that. That'd be wrong. <laughs> you know, like what you're going to do is not wrong. And, and his advisor, his friend says, well, here's what you do. You tell your dad, the king, that you've not been feeling well. Okay? And your dad, he's he's the king, but he's uh, he wants to make everybody happy. And winds up making nobody happy. So David wants to 
Dad? Yes, my son, Edwin. Uh, could you, could you have my sister come and bring a nice meal for me and fluff my pillow? And, well, of course I will. So the king goes to the other residence of the other kids and the half-brothers and half-sisters. Long story short, she comes to, to help her half-brother out. He rapes her. And then refuses to marry her, shames her, and sends her off. Well, Brother Absalom. Brother Absalom comes into the picture. And he starts a plot to kill his half-brother. They're all living together in Jerusalem. Okay, So... Absalom plots and ultimately figures out a way to trick his brother to coming to a certain place and he has people there to kill him. Well, David, King David, he hears about it and he does absolutely nothing. Because, you know, he doesn't want to offend Absalom, that's his kid. And he doesn't want to offend the family and the wife and everything that, of Ammon. And so he basically does nothing. He attends Ammon's funeral. But he doesn't even talk to Absalom about what he did. He just says, well, it'll, it'll all go away. Well, a rift develops between King David and Absalom. And Absalom is just he leaves town and he for many years they don't speak either. They lived in Jerusalem blocks away from each other and didn't speak to communicate. It's like it's coming home to me. Chapter 14 then picks up with King David's general goes to David and David is brooding because of all these family issues. How many of you know family issues, family strife, can wear on you big time? Can I get a witness in the house? I mean it can wear on you. You haven't done anything. and Well, King David is just folded up in the palace and brooding about it. He isn't doing anything about it. He doesn't address the issue or try to get some justice, and so the whole kingdom is watching this soap opera unfold in the palace. David isn't meeting with the people anymore. He's just brooding in the palace. So, chapter 14 starts off with, with Joab, the general. He can't stand the way David is, because David isn't going out to battle. David is not leading. He's just sitting there pouting and brooding. And woe is me. And so he says, well, i got to do something to fix this. So he, he goes and, and he develops this tricking plan to get David and Absalom back together. Fails miserably. And so Absalom hates his father all the more. And he plots 
to take the kingdom away from him. I'll show him. So Absalom amasses an army. Chariots and horsemen and soldiers and whatever. And David just lets him get away with it. Because he's his boy. And he doesn't want to hurt his feelings. So you have Absalom stirring up all kinds of stuff. And, and, and David is just brooding. He isn't being a king. He's a recluse at this point. So Absalom amasses an army and he starts doing all kinds of nice things for the rest of the people of Israel. And he sets up shop in Hebron to the south. And because uh, David's not meeting with the people to rule over situations anymore. He's just hunkered down in the palace. And so Absalom, people come up and he just spends every day down in Hebron Oh, that's a bad, that's a terrible problem. Come on, I'll talk with you. The king, he's too troubled by other things. Uh, let me let me try and solve your problem. And Absalom begins to tell everybody, if only I were your king, I I I I'd make things right for you. I mean the abject politician. <laughs> You know, elect me and I will turn these things around. Uh, and so he's, every day he's meeting with all the people that come with problems and difficulties that David isn't handling. And the family strife just boils and boils and boils and boils over. And so he's developed a huge following. His army is growing, his chariot and horsemen are growing. And they've got to the place where everybody loves Absalom and everybody hates David. If only I were your leader. And the people bought the line. So now word reaches in chapter 14, word reaches King David in the palace that Absalom is on the way to take over and to kill him. He still has an army. David does. But he doesn't want to go against his son. And so he resigns himself just to leave. And to go away in shame rather than to confront the sin of what's going on with Absalom. So that's where our picture is found as we started off in the scripture. That so David went up by the ascent, he leaves the, the city of Jerusalem, walks out the gates, he's in disguise, his head is covered so people can't recognize him, he's leaving in shame, he's walking without sandals, he's pretending to be a slave on his way out of town. And he's weeping and crying out. And anybody who sees him, they join with him and, and he had his head covered and went barefoot and all the people who were with them covered his head and went up weeping as they went up. So this is the situation. How 
did David get into this place after just several years before? He was large and in charge, and his everybody loved him. And now nobody loves him. How did David get that? What are some things that happened here that we've told you that David didn't do or didn't do to put himself in that kind of situation? Yeah. David took uh, one of the kings, one of the fellow kings around and one of his, uh, took another wife, which is the mother of in the situation, and that was, you know, another Added to his <coughs> challenges. Yeah. He was trying to make peace with all these people the way the other kings did, and he just had having other kids, and all they did was fuss and fight. How else did David get himself into this position? Well, it all started with Bathsheba, didn't it? Yeah. He started down the path with Bathsheba, and the judgment upon that sin, he prayed the prayer that we've studied for the last several weeks in Psalm 51. But now, he seems afraid to address sin. He does absolutely nothing about the murder of his son, Emma. And he does it yet. He was also told after his ordeal with Bathsheba uh, that the sword would never leave his house. Right. And so I'm just seeing it as that's going to play out somehow, even if it's being bad. So he's he's uh, he's under the gun. He's he's repented, but that doesn't change the situation. Sometimes they they say that what people do, they, they sow their wild oats and then pray for a crop failure. <laughs> but be careful, that which you sow, that shall you also reap. So David has put himself in a position where you can almost hear the devil speaking to him. Well you can't you can't deal with with Absalom, you did just as bad, if not worse, than what he did. And uh, who are you to? So he did nothing. What are some other things that play into David finding himself on the way out of town in shame? Yeah. Was in his relationship with God on some shaky ground, like it was very spotty? <coughs> He was repentant in Psalm 51, but he was not, what we read, he he mourned the death of his the child, Jedediah, that was born because of that relationship. He, he mourned the, the loss of that, uh, but he just became a brooder and wasn't leading uh, the way that God had instructed him to lead. And, he just kind of was on a downer. And he, it's tough to walk in the light when you're living in darkness. Was he right with God? It would seem 
after Psalm 51, yes. He was repentant, but not changed. And so his brooding nature affects. Have you ever known individuals that you know they're saved, but they sure aren't happy about it? Have you ever met met people like that? Oh, Father. Oh, my. He's going to kill me. Everybody's going to hate me. And he wanted everybody to love him. And, and, and uh, that doesn't work. Yeah. Hey, Pastor. Uh, when after the ordeal with Bathsheba in the baby dies, the Lord told him that all these things that he did in secret, he was going to make public. And all this stuff that's happening now is part of what God said was going to happen after that. Even yeah. though he repented, he was still going to. He's going to get his wives away to somebody else and all this other stuff. Yeah. The, the whole, uh, the breakdown of that, uh, that occurs, I have to believe that if he sought the Lord, how many of you have seen places in the scripture where the Lord says, this bad stuff's going to happen? But then, when they repent and they truly seek after the Lord, God turns His judgment. Next week in the morning class, we're in Jonah. And Jonah went to preach to the people of Nineveh. He hated their guts. He wanted them to fraud. He wanted them to be punished. And the reason he didn't want to go was because he knew that the Lord... If he preached repentance, the people would repent and the Lord would forgive them and wouldn't judge them. According to Scripture, I have to believe that if David would have pursued righteousness rather than brooding over the situation, it could have turned around. Because I see it happen in other places. I see it, a, a pattern. God is not willing that any should perish. None of this in chapter 13 and 14 was God's perfect plan for the household of David. But when there's strife in the family and, and all kinds of things going on, we have no reference of absolute unchallenged. It's unchallenged by David in his own household.
it'll stir things up. But it isn't getting any better for David this way. He probably had a lot of regrets as he's leaving town. He's look at what he's leaving. His palace, his family, all of the perks of being the king. And he's walking out like a slave. And he doesn't know if he'll ever come back. And he makes a stop by the tabernacle on the way out of town. He looks over his shoulder and sees the city that he built, the palace that he built. It's all gone. It's all gone. So, the the situation is, is a scary one. To the bitter end, David loves his son Absalom, and rightfully so, but wanted no harm to come to him. He didn't want him to face the consequences for his actions. And ultimately, he cried over his son's loss, but looking back, if you could have stopped that train wreck several miles down the road. there, How many of you have been in a family situation where you're walking on eggshells and you're, you're afraid to do anything because you don't want to upset this one or upset that one or, boy, if I do that, if I, you know, and you, has it helped you? It didn't in the Bible either. So when there's family strife, the, the aspect is not to, just to try to ignore it, but to find some scriptural ways to deal with it. I just want to give you, real quick, I gave these out this morning, some prayer points for family strife. A proactive way of dealing with it through prayer. And uh, I'm not trying to give you any advice tonight. I'm just saying these are some ways to pray about. If you don't have any family strife, God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> but if you do, you might want to jot these down. First of all, pray to God to give you a holy patience in dealing with the situation. In dealing with the situation. It doesn't mean that we're ignoring it. But these things didn't happen overnight and they're not going to be undone overnight. Give you a holy patience. If you're going to be going into... How many of you ever faced this? You know you've got to go to a... Let's say a funeral or something. And all these people are going to be there. And they all hate you. <laughs> they're not crazy about you at all. Uh, they think you're nuts or... They, or, or you need to pray for patience because you're stepping into a lion's den. You need to also pray that you might be the instrument of God's love in the situation. To pray for the love of God to shine through. Jesus prayed this way on the cross and He ought to be able to help us uh, to learn how to pray that way. That you'll respond differently than others are responding. To pray for peace at gatherings. To ask the Lord to uh, 
we're instructed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, right? Now, it's a powder keg sometimes with all the different factions and forces. But we're instructed, God tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So that lets me know that we can pray for peace even in volatile situations. Pray for forgiveness of hurts. Sometimes we respond to people not because of what they just said, but what we just felt when they said it. Something that happened years ago. The tone of the voice brings back a memory. That, am I floating anybody's boat here? Anybody say amen? You know, uh, it, it may be not a single thing they said at that point, but it all comes that to, to pray in realms of forgiveness. You can't forgive their sin. You can offer forgiveness so that you're not bound by this their sin. Praying for healing of the deep bruises that go on in our hearts. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some things that happened in the past, maybe years and years ago, that when you think about them, when you brush up against them, oh, still stings and grieves. Uh, I, would you be willing to share the story that you shared this morning? Uh, yeah, we were talking about uh, that. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, years ago, uh, my uh, my niece did something really nasty to my mom. She wiped her bank account out. And never really showed any sorrow, any sadness for doing it. Um, now my mom, um, she's better than I was because she she forgave my niece, but uh, she, and, but she continued to do things like this, and 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 she around people would pretend or give the impression that she really really was mom's devoted granddaughter, and and I knew what had gone on. I was the only one in the family; nobody else knew except Jim and I what had gone on. And uh, like this morning, um, I told Jim later, I said, I did not know it was going to come back and hurt that bad. Mm -hmm. and, and my mom died in 2005. This hadn't had to have happened in, what, mid, uh, early 90s, mid-90s. But the bruises are still deep. Mm -hmm. The stings are still deep. Words were said, things that were done, attitudes and whatever. And those are deep bruises bruises that are hard to heal. But God can heal the bruised reed. He can, he can heal down deep and help us with that. And I believe this morning there was a, there was a sense of God's touch mm -hmm. as, as you let it out and God stepped in. This is something that we're around hurting people that have been hurt by a variety of things. As a pastor, many times I find that people respond to me in a hostile way because somebody else hurt them. It wasn't me. I did that. <laughs> but 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 uh, a, a religious person, a, a clergyman, or whatever did something, or a church person did something, and my presence or my something I said triggered those deep bruises. Hurt. 
And uh, we need to pray for healing of deep bruises. The Lord can help us. The sixth thing about praying for family strife, humility in dealing with family. Don't come from a high ground and say, in a condescending manner, well, <laughs> there, there. Uh, that's not going to quote anybody's boat. That'll sink you. Pray for humility. You may be right, but nobody likes to be told that you're right. Okay? Right. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. You know. They're, they're probably not going to come up to you and say, Oh, you were right. I was wrong. How many realize that doesn't happen very often? If, if ever. And uh, if we're going in expecting that, we're going to be disappointed. Humility in dealing with family members. And the seventh thing to pray for in family strife issues is calmness. A still heart. A soft answer turns away wrath. If you are a reactive person, well, I have half a mind. You know, uh, it's probably not going to help that situation at all. And uh, a calmness. I have to pray about this all the time. I used to have a bad temper. I mean a really bad temper. Linda, Linda knows. I was upset one time. She was dating somebody in college. And what did I do, money? I put a fist through a door in my door. It's not a happy kimber. Is she dating you too? Huh? Was she dating both of you? No, it, it was it wasn't any committed relationship. It was just dating. <laughs> and uh, uh, but I was upset. So the Lord has to call me. Uh, every once in a while and uh, calm my spirit. The eighth thing to pray for in family strife situations is praying for wisdom. Pray for what? Wisdom. Wisdom of what to do, what to say, what not to say. Have you ever been in those situations? You knew that if you say this phrase that's in your mind, you know it's going to ignite yeah. a firestorm. And yet, you said it anyway. <laughs> Not wise. You have chosen poorly. <laughs> and the ninth thing in praying and dealing with family strife issues, guidance of the Holy Spirit. He knows what's going on. He knows what's happening, and we don't. And so... We need to be guided by the Holy Spirit. So, David, there's a whole lot of family strife going on <coughs> in David's household. And he hasn't dealt with it, and that is not the solution. So, I'll turn back to where I am. Okay. So, David prays. For what is David's prayer there in the uh, 15th chapter there? In the verse that we read, verses that we read. Let me read it for you. 
Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Anybody know who Ahithophel was? Ahithophel was David. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say that was David's advisor. One of his primary advisors. One of his right hand men. One of the guys that gave him advice. And uh, uh, David took his word as if it was God speaking to him. That's always a dangerous thing. Uh, It'd be better to have God speak to you, right? But he listened to the advice of Ahithophel uh, for many years. And now, when Absalom is bringing his army to Jerusalem, David's exiting stage left and going up to the Mount of Olives, perhaps seeing his city for the last time. And people come and say, you know, your closest advisor is now advising Absalom. And what's David's prayer? (laughs) In uh, 2 Samuel 15, uh, 31. Somebody read 15, 31. We'll do it. 15, 31. Yeah, okay, quick. And someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Say Ahithophel 15 times (laughs) faster. That'll help you. Uh, I turn the, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Ahithophel is going to have the ear of the king and you know what his advice is going to be when he comes into Jerusalem and finds David has left town you know what Ahithophel advises Absalom track him down, hunt him down and kill him now that's Ahithophel's loyal servant Ahithophel says that But Absalom chooses to listen to another advisor and doesn't go after David. That's David's salvation right there. It's an answer to David's prayer that Absalom considered it not the thing to do when Ahithophel advised him. So, uh, we want to talk a little bit about Ahithophel We have this advisor. It's important for us to watch who we take advice from. It's important to not just accept advice from everybody, even though they may have given some good. At the first part of our story, you remember, I told you about chapter 13. How did Ammon enter into the the rape situation with his sister. Advice. Advice. Somebody gave him advice of how to do it. And here we find advice coming back to to haunt. Uh, Can I get somebody to look up and read for us? 2 Samuel I'm way behind. Excuse me. I just talked and didn't didn't scan here. I, I got so involved in family issues here. 
2 Samuel 16, 23. Who will read that for us? 16, 20. Okay, Charles. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Okay. His, his advice was premier, and, and uh, it was as if God was speaking. But obviously God wasn't speaking. Amen? Uh, through Ahithophel. His advice was hunting down and killing now, and you'll be that thorn will be out of your side. Uh, he took it his Ahithophel's uh, advice at one thing, but not at hunting David down. It sounded like he had good advice, but there was something wrong in Ahithophel's heart. Um, you remember a fellow in the Old Testament who had some advisors come alongside of him when he was going through some rough patch in his life. Anybody remember? A fellow by the name of Job had some advisors. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu. And what was their advice? Basically, I don't want word for word in several chapters of the scripture. Uh, What basically was their advice to Job. Job is sitting there, he's covered with uh, boils, he's lost everything, he's, he's in pain, he's in agony, he's weeping. Uh, they sat there for a few days when they got there and then they started speaking and giving him some advice of how to correct his situation. And what was their advice, basically? Well, that was his wife's advice. She, she gave him some advice. Curse God and die, my dear husband. It wasn't a mean thing. She wanted to see him out of his misery. Uh, what what would the, did the other guys advise? Confess, confess his sin before God. Yeah. Hey, buddy, what you got to do is you got to repent. Yeah. You're messed up. I don't know what you did. It must have been bad. Look at you. And he said, look at you. Look at you. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're evil. Admit you, you've cursed God and everything. And maybe, just maybe, he'll forgive you. And, what, and then when one finishes, the next one steps up to the batter's box and beats him with, with the same thing. You say you're righteous, but we know you're not. I mean, look at you. You're oozing sores all over the place. Look at you. You're a mess. And then, then, then he shuts up. And then the next. And, and while we're talking about it, Joe, you, you really ought to admit that you're a sinner and a wretched person. Look at us. We're not. Don't have any of these problems. And we're righteous. Obviously, you're not. Advice after advice for multiple chapters, and they, and Job does not take their advice. In all these things, Job didn't sin and confessed to something he hadn't done. And he didn't blaspheme God. He didn't uh, turn his back on God, even though all these bad things were happening. And he was surrounded by advisors who sounded very spiritual. Have you ever received 
bum advice from somebody? Anybody? Uh, the scripture is very clear about we need to realize that not all advice, even though it sounds good, sounds scriptural, is not always from God. That's the reason, aren't you glad we have the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth? We have the gifts of the Holy Spirit available to guide us, to discern the spiritual nature of a situation. We don't have to just guess. God can guide and direct us. And all of this advice that Ahithophel is giving ultimately was well received by David and Absalom but it was wrong it was wrong what are the dangers of giving advice what was that Quinn you may not know as much as you think you do yeah, you, you may not know What's going on behind the scenes? What? Well, what you ought to do is this, you know, and uh, that might be the very thing you don't want to do. Well, it's, there was others talking I didn't hear. What are some other aspects about giving advice? <laughs> That's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Oh my. Uh, uh, the Lord told me to tell you this. The Lord told me to tell you that. What's the problem with that phrase? Well, the Lord could have told me directly rather than you somebody else. Yeah, we're, we're in communication. You know, if you were in rebellion and you weren't talking to the Lord and you were brooding like David, maybe he would send somebody else. But when, when someone comes up to me and says something like that, uh, if it doesn't bear witness with my spirit, I'll say, well, that's not what the Lord's been saying to me. Uh, I'll, I'll ask him about it. But we just talked a little while ago, and he didn't mention a thing about it. Uh, it was kind of a lever that some people were using. Well, you have to listen to me. The Lord told me to tell you. And, and people were bound up in that. They were prophesying over each other. That's a, it's still a big thing today. There's one of the mega churches out west that they have prophecy times where you can come in for an appointment and uh, set up a time so that the prophets of the church can tell you what you need to do and prophesy over. Like it's a put a, a, a quarter in the slot and get your fortune read. You know that I don't see that in the book. Uh, that that's not in the book. That's 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 sinister. That's evil. But there's a, a massive, huge church that they have their regular prophecy times, and you can come in and get your ticket and come in to be prophesied over and and. Uh, Guide your life. I was in a in a service one time. Uh, I was supposed to be the featured speaker. I was doing a drama 
at a Royal Ranger event, and they had it in the gym of the church, and uh, I was freaked out because the uh, it wasn't the Royal Rangers that were in charge of this part. The the pastor of the church had allowed this one lady who was really just a false prophetess uh, to have some position of authority and influence over others because she had money and influence. And so I'm, I'm sitting there having a nice meal, waiting on my turn to go and get re- ready for this costume thing I'm doing, drama I'm doing, and, and I almost choked on my food when they made the announcement over on the uh, far wall, Sister So-and-So has a booth and she is going to do prophetic drawings. And those drawings, those prophetic drawings will give God's direction to you if you'll stop by and uh, free will offerings are allowed. <laughs> what? <laughs> Being close or whatever, then my what? The Lord. 
pray and fast and seek God all the time, He shows you people to pray for. He shows you what's wrong with them. He shows you who's hurt and what part to pray for. Because I experienced it. When I, I'm not supposed to say I used to do this, but when I was in prayer all the time, and not only me, but other elders of the church, we would see visions of people in our mind, and uh, we would pray for that person. And you, you get the same. I know you're always here to show you who to pray for, and sometimes what to pray for. And uh, the Holy Spirit will guide us into all the truth. Spirit, there is concerning the spirits. There is the gift of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. There are prophecies and dreams, the spirit of prophecy. Yeah. But we're not talking about that here. We're talking about people that are yeah, moving into the realm of false doctrine, false teaching, and spiritualism. Not spiritual, but spiritualism. And passing that off as words from God. And the flock needs to be very cautious. Uh, when somebody says, well, the Lord told me to tell you, uh, you say, well, if it doesn't bear witness, I rebuke that. Because there needs to be discerning the spirits. So what I'm saying is, Ahithophel was given advice, but his advice wasn't godly, even though David and Absalom said, yeah, this God is if, it's as if God speaking. But it wasn't God speaking. David would probably change his mind if he knew that Ahithophel said, hunt him down and kill him. <laughs> probably. Oh, maybe not that. So, moving right along. Oh, i got to finish up here. Uh, 2 Samuel 15. Uh, Ahithophel, see that right? Ahithophel ultimately saw that Absalom's rebellion was doomed and he put his his household in order and hanged himself. When he saw that his advice was not being followed, he saddled his donkey, set out for his house in his hometown. This is in 2 Samuel 17, 23. And he put his house in order, then he hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. Bad advice. Bad advice. But real quickly, look at verse 32 in 2 Samuel 15. Now it happened when David came to the top of the Mount of Olives, where he worshipped God. There was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn, symbol of mourning, dust on his head, symbol of grieving. David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? Therefore it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house you shall tell Zadok and Abathar, Abiathar the priest. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, whose names shall I'll forget. 
and Abathar, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Hushai was the second counselor that David used, and God used him to keep Absalom from following the deadly advice of Athiophel. He was an inside man for David. There's counsel, then there's godly counsel. Mm -hmm. And we need to discern the difference with God's help. Not all advice you receive. Have you ever had somebody ask you for advice and they you gave them what God had laid upon your heart. You gave them scripture and everything. And they looked at you and went off and asked somebody else. <laughs> How many of you have had that wonderful experience? What does that tell you? They weren't looking for the truth. They were looking for someone to parrot what they want. Right. They, they wanted someone to say what they wanted to hear. And that's an end time prophetic situation. They will heap unto themselves teachers who say what they want them to hear. It's an end time prophecy. Boy, do we have that today. People saying what they want to hear. And they'll draw massive crowds and they'll They'll have massive bankrolls behind them. But it doesn't mean that their advice and their, their witness and their teaching is biblical. We need to be discerning. Just having a big crowd does not make it right. Can you think of some historical examples that big crowds don't necessarily mean that it's right? Woodstock. Woodstock, yeah. Woodstock, I mean, that'd make it right. How about Hitler? Did he have a few crowds? How about Mohammed? Did he have a few crowds? Sun Yen Moon had a lot of followers, millions. Doesn't make it right. And we need to be discerning, and so much more in the day in which we live than ever before. We are in treacherous times. Because people are, have all kind of access. I was telling Pastor Jamie, I had uh, came across some podcasts today. Oh, my goodness. The false teaching that is being spread through these podcasts. It's unbelievable. It, it just, all you got to do is have a camera and an internet hookup. And you can spread your slimy filth all over the place. But one I heard today, this is a minister, pastors a church, okay, in the United States. And his Easter message is the resurrection is not pivotal to the Christian church. And he says, I can prove that Jesus didn't really die and rise again from Scripture. It's a ministry. Oh, yeah. 
And he took he took the portion of the scripture, of course, out of context. He said, Jesus said, right there in the scriptures, he says, Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so even so the Son of Man shall be in the belly of the earth for three days. Now he says, now look right there. It says right there. Did, was Jonah dead? No. So in the same way that Jonah was in the well, Jesus was in the tomb, but he wasn't dead. And people are cheering the false teaching. Liberates them. Folks, advice. We need to discern the Lord's help through the Word of God. Feed on the Word of God, and everything that's not the Word will become more obvious to you. Ooh, that doesn't sound right. We're going to stop there today. We've gotten through some very challenging chapters tonight. Give yourself a round of applause. I mean, these are not happy times, but uh, the dark days strife in David's house. Prayer request tonight. We want to lift up. Uh, <coughs> we just got word today. One of the youth staff at uh, Camp Syker, one of the youth staff, uh, her mother posted, she's like, what, 29? She's 29. 29. Her kidneys have shut down. No, her liver. Her liver has shut down. Full liver failure. Full liver failure. 29. And uh, need to pray for Emily. And uh, Dave Swigert needs, he needs an intervention of, of healing to his body. He says, I, I just wonder, he says, the surgery, I, I'm more, in more pain now than I ever was before. So uh, be praying for David and for Bridget. Uh Other prayer requests tonight. Yeah. I have uh, this guy you know, I'm not going to mention pastor of mine, very wonderful family, his oldest child turned in away from the Lord and turned in sin and advertises taking her picture naked with other girls or whatever. Mm. And so she's really into sin and I know it hurts this pastor and the family really bad. Mm. And I just want to pray for him and the Lord knows who he is. Yeah. And so, anyway, today, because I know it hurts him real, real, real bad. Oh, of course. Lift up this family. Lift up her to come to herself and come back to the Lord. Other prayer requests tonight. We have, yes. So, my sister Kim recently started her year of chemo and so forth. And... For the past few days, she hasn't been able to keep any food down. She's been stuck in bed, not able to move. And yeah. Let's pray for Kim. And pray the healing for the cancer and the treatments. Uh, this weekend is our food outreach ministry. Uh, we need your help on Friday for the boxing up of the 
food and Saturday for the distribution. And so we can use it again. It's usually, we don't know when the truck's going to show up on Friday. But if you show up at 11.30, there's always something to do to straighten up the barn and get things ready to go. Uh, and then Saturday, uh, if you can be there before 8.30, that would be a help to us. We like to start early uh, and uh, encourage people to get there early so that we can get the food out and minister to them and pray with each family. So anybody that can come and help, we would greatly appreciate it. <coughs> Other prayer requests tonight? <coughs> Unsaved loved ones. Unsaved loved ones. Uh, and without hand, would you say, yes, this this family strife issue uh, is heavy on your heart tonight. And uh, we're asking the Lord to help us deal with toxic family situations. Anybody? Well, let's go to prayer and several lead us out in a word of prayer and then I'll close. Father God, we pray tonight that as we're going through these challenging chapters that show us the, the dark side, even in David's household, we realize that the enemy is always on the attack to destroy families, to create strife and division. But you have come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Many raise their hands with challenging family issues, uh, close family, distant relatives, 
trouble at gatherings and all different types of things. Uh, multiple situations where the enemy is just trying to destroy as many lives as possible of adults and children alike. But Father, we pray that you will give us guidance and direction of how to proceed, how to pursue you in prayer and to be a healing agent in the midst of these situations. We ask, Father, for wisdom and insight and direction. Help us to guard our, our, our advice to make certain it's what you would have us to share. Give us the wisdom of when to speak and when to be silent and when just to pray. We ask Heavenly Father for those that are have been lifted up all this day. We pray for Emily tonight and the condition in her body. It, it sounds great, but we know, Father, you are able to heal. And we pray, Father, you would do a miracle in her body. She loves you. She's a child of the King. She's a servant. And we pray, Father God, you touch her today. Use it as a faith strengthener for all the rest of the youth staff that know and love her. We pray for her family, her, her dad, who's a pastor, and all the different things that he's going, he and his wife are going through with this. We pray for your touch, your strength for them. Yes. We lift up situations and <coughs> unspoken requests. We don't know what to do, but you do. Guide and direct people in the situations unsaved loved ones and, and circumstances that are beyond our grasp or control. But you have solutions. You have a plan and a way to use us. We ask, Father, you'd help us as we pray over our families and the dysfunctional aspect of our families. But Father, you could use us as a caregiver and as someone to Pray your Holy Spirit in to the situation. We lift up the needs of, of Kim that not only that she'd be able to keep the food down, but Father, you would just touch her and use this to draw her close to you to call upon the name of the Lord. And we pray, Father, for healing. For all of these things, Lord, we, we give you praise tonight and thanksgiving. We ask that you would give us opportunity to share with others the things that we've studied tonight. Not the, the dark side, but the powerful side that there is hope in Christ Jesus for every dilemma. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.